Welcome to Way Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. Way Family Church is a new church plant in Tucson, Arizona. We welcome you to join us every Sunday morning at 1030 for worship, the word, and fellowship. If you would like more information, visit us online at wayfamily.church. Brandon, thank you so much. It's just been so encouraging and seeing how many visitors we have today. I'm just so appreciative of having each of y'all here. It means so much to me. Um, and especially for Brandon, Brandon's been guiding me on this journey um, and just really revealing what, call, what God's call might be for me. Uh, Brandon's had me over for dinner. He's uh, really listened to these, these sermons and these notes that I'm about to, to share with you, and he's guided the whole process, and he's just taken such good care of me, and I'm just so thankful for him. And y'all, my question for us today is, what about those people who aren't Brandon? Um, it's really easy for me to love Brandon because he's so giving and so generous and just really wants to take care of me. But what about those people who would rather take advantage of us? Those people who just seem more disagreeable. How do we still love those people well? And y'all, the word has a really good answer for us. We're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42 today. Um, and I think the, the answer to that question is just to love others radically through a total surrender to Jesus. Um, so the passage we're reading from today is in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's on retaliation. And what we learn is uh, the Sermon on the Mount is actually really early in Jesus' ministry. So he's just spent 40 days in the desert, and then um, he, uh, he comes out of the desert, still sinless. He rounds up together 12 disciples, and now we learn he's in Galilee, and he's healing people. And healing people is uh, something that kind of spreads your fame pretty quick back in the, the days of Israel. Um, so Jesus... His fame spread all the way north to Syria and all the way south to Jerusalem. And that's actually where some of his audience for the Sermon on the Mount comes from. All the way 100 miles south in Jerusalem, which is about a six or seven days walking journey. So it's kind of crazy that people are walking that far, really to be healed by Jesus. And then because there are such great crowds there, Jesus really takes advantage of this opportunity to minister to these people, to bless them, and just explain what it means to live as a citizen of heaven, as a member of God's own kingdom. Um, so Jesus starts out his Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to give us a little bit of context, just because this is a topical sermon. So it's kind of breaking our normal routine. I think we're in chapter 2 of James right now, but as a church today, we'll be looking at Matthew. So I'm going to give you the context for the rest of the chapter before we get into what we're reading from today. Um, Jesus starts the chapter with the section called the Beatitudes, and he's really explaining to his audience right here that they are blessed to be members of the citizens of heaven although they're going to be struggling with persecution and just being slandered for who they are in the culture and the context around them. But Jesus is encouraging them really to put their hope in heaven because they have a greater reward there. So it's really this encouragement to live as citizens of heaven. And then Jesus goes on to explain that those who live according to this way are going to act as salt and light, really leading other people towards God around them. Um, because when you live as a citizen of heaven in the culture around you, you're gonna look different, just a little bit. <laughs> um, and Jesus is explaining that that is good and that's a blessing, not only to these, these people who are being persecuted, but also to those who are revealing God's love to. Um, and then Jesus goes on to explain what some of these, these standards of radical love are gonna look like. Um, first he talks and explains that he's not abolishing God's law, but he's really fulfilling it. So what we see here is that Jesus is gonna give us insight onto what God has meant for his people through his law and how we ought to apply it and how they had to apply it in those days. Um, and these standards 
are going to seem a bit intense and um, really hard to, to live up to, but I think it's so important that we, we really look into them. And the first example Jesus gives us is anger. Um, in the, the law, the, the Jewish law of those days, I think the minimum standard for anger was that you wouldn't murder your neighbor. Um, that seems pretty easy, right? I think we can all live up to that one. I hope. <laughs> um, but Jesus is saying that God's standard for love is so much more that we would uproot anger from our hearts, that we would be reconciled to our brothers and to those around us. Um, and this is a lot more challenging than just not murdering people. Um, so that's the first example we get, is that Jesus is really telling us to, to uproot the sin of anger from our hearts out of a love for others and a love for God. And then he moves on to another example, and he talks about lust. Um, again, the minimum standard was do not commit adultery. And Jesus is saying, don't even look at somebody with, with an impure heart or impure intentions, because then you're already committing that same sin in your heart. So Jesus is really challenging his people to not just act obediently in action, but in heart, to really pursue God with all of themselves. Um, and then he moves on to talk about divorce and to talk about oaths. And I think it's, it's great that we get this section on divorce right after Jesus is urging us to not be lustful, because then he's, being, he's urging us to be faithful in our relationships, which is so important because we live under a God who loves us faithfully. And then he's going to, um, Jesus is urging us to love others faithfully. Um, in the section on oaths, um, we're going to be talking about a concept of surrender today. And I think oaths really hits first this, this beautiful idea of surrender. Jesus is saying, do not make an oath by heaven or by earth, by Jerusalem, or even by your head. Um, because you yourself can't make one hair white or black. And really, this is a recognition that God is the only one who's truly sovereign. And so we shouldn't promise or impose our will on others, on the people around us, because God is the one whose will will prevail. Um, so this is really us surrendering our future to a loving God because we trust that his way is good. And we're not going to tell others that our will will be done because it's ultimately God's will that will be done. And that takes us right to where we are today is um, the section on retaliation. And I've titled my sermon, Radical Love Through Total Surrender. Um, and we're going to see here Jesus outlining four examples of ways we ought to surrender full-heartedly to God that we could properly love others as members of the citizen of heaven, or as citizens of heaven. Um, but church, before we read, actually I'll read and then I'd like us to, to pray really quickly. All right, Matthew chapter five, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. All right, church, would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Dear Lord, you are so good, and it is such a blessing to be here today. Lord, just members united in your body. I'm so grateful for the, the visitors we have and just the encouragement you're giving me today, Lord. Um, but also, Lord, I pray that these words uh, today spoken would not be mine, but that you would speak through me, Lord, and that this message would convict and edify your body by your spirit, um, Lord, because you are good and you're not limited by this being a, a first sermon or these words coming from me, but Lord, you are a good God who works in powerful ways. Um, and Lord, please uh, just move our hearts to be open to this idea of surrender, that we would love others radically according to your will. Um, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, 
Y'all, thanks so much. It's so good to be here again. Um, so again, we're in Matthew chapter 5, 38 through 42. And really, the first idea of surrender we're going to look at is dignity. Um, Jesus has called us to surrender dignity, security, liberty, and property. Um, but first, let's read into Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. He says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, it's really important that we understand Jesus is telling people they have heard that it was said. So this is a conception that these people have, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus is saying, you've heard that it was said because these people obviously got this idea from somewhere. So it's so important that, church, we understand the context behind where these people have heard that it was said. Um, and for that, we're going to look back at Exodus chapter 21, verses 23 through 25. And here, God is giving the law to Israel through Moses. And in verse 23, he says, but if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Now this is a concept of lex talionis, it's Latin for the law of retaliation. And this is God really giving instruction to Israel on how they ought to set up their justice systems, how they ought to um, really administer justice when there is crime done. So this is a context of authority really being asserted in a government. Um, this is something God's setting up for his people as a, a blessing to them, that justice would, um, justice would be met and crime wouldn't go unchecked. And the concept of lex talionis, this law of, of retaliation, that you would receive an equal and just punishment for your crime, meant that violence wasn't to be you know, done and then increased, but you would receive an equal punishment and it would really diminish violence at this heart of pursuing what justice is. Um, but this is in um, this context here, is in the, the system of judicial and court management. Um, and Jesus, when he's talking to us, he says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. He's not talking about how we ought to administer justice, because that's something that God really establishes authority for. He's talking to us how we ought to respond in love to a singular person who is doing these crimes to us, what our hearts ought to respond with in love, not how we ought to deem justice be served by God. So this is a really important distinction right there. Um, and then in verse 39, we read, do not, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You know, there are a couple things I want to look at in this verse. When we see, do not resist the one who is evil, I think that can be really confusing. It's really important that Jesus resisted the one who was evil on the cross. Because um, otherwise, we would still stand in enslavement by our sins, right? Um, so it's really important to look at some distinction for this too. And for that, I'm gonna to flip to Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 12. And this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, the present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now it's really important that we look at this, this distinction here, that when we are encouraged not to stand against the one who is evil, Jesus is not telling us to be submissive to sin and to let sin reign. We're not encouraged in sin to just let this prevail in our own hearts. But Jesus is urging us that in love, you know, we might ought to exercise this discernment of what we do and what we don't stand against. And church, that's already something that's difficult to do is to know 
when to say yes or no and how you respond to something. But um, I've heard it said faith is like a muscle and the more you exercise it, the more you're gonna understand this, this concept of discernment. And let us turn to God and surrender and ask him to guide us and how we ought to discern this. But I did think it was important to, uh, to keep that note that we aren't to be submissive to evil. Jesus stands against evil on the cross and it's something we'll continue to, to stand against in our own lives. Um, and then back to uh, Matthew 5, verse 39. He says, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And now it seems kind of arbitrary. Like, why would he include this phrase, on the right cheek? Um, and it's actually a really important detail. Um, we learn in the, the culture and the context of Israel when Jesus is speaking. Um, we just assume most people are right-handed, and they did the same in Israel in those days. Um, if you were slapped on the right cheek, it meant somebody was using their right hand the back of their hand to slap you. And this actually wasn't to incite violence as forcefully as like maybe a, a front slap or a punch or something else. But Jesus is specific about the right hand to the right cheek. Um, this was actually meant to incite insult. This was an attack on somebody's character and their dignity. Um, and that's why we have this concept of surrendering dignity here, is that you would turn the other cheek. You wouldn't respond by submitting your own defense, but you would trust that God has your character and he is sufficient for your defense. Um, and we'll read in Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 through 14, awesome example of Jesus himself responding in silence. Um, and Jesus here is being tried before Pilate. Um, and we read, But when he was accused by the chief priest and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Y'all, what's really important here is that we observe Jesus' example of how we ought to respond to those who are accusing us falsely. Jesus responds in silence because ultimately he knows his father and he knows his mission. Um, and he doesn't have to respond to the, the elders and the priests here accusing him of all these false things because Jesus knows who he is. His father knows who he is. And that's not going to be shaken by how these people are accusing him. So in love, he's choosing to respond in silence. Um, and I think that's something that's really challenging to do, easier said than done. I've learned that for myself, most of my sin, I think um, is easiestly observed and manifested while I'm driving. I think my roommates will be the first to tell you I'm not a great driver. <laughs> um, but it's really easy for me, if somebody cuts me off, kind of takes advantage of, of my driving, um, for me to just respond with anger, get angry, tell them that wasn't very nice, they probably can't hear that because I'm in my van. So maybe I'll just tailgate them for a little bit so I can just kind of tell them their, their driving sucks. And I think um, if I were really to follow Jesus' example and challenge myself, it would be much more loving for me to tap on my brakes and to give them a little space, to respond in love, provide for their safety. Let my dignity suffer because God has that. Ultimately, it's his love that must prevail. Um, all right, and then we'll look at the next verse. So this next idea of surrender. Jesus is challenging us to surrender our security. Um, and we'll read in verse 40. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So this one's also really important to look into the context of Israel because when we look at our closets and our wardrobes today, we don't have a lack of clothing generally. I have like five cardigans and several extra t-shirts. If somebody were to sue me and take one of these, it wouldn't be the end of the world. I might not even approach God about it. Um, but we'll look back at um, actually Exodus 22, verses 26 through 27. 
Um, and this is really the context of the Jewish people being told to surrender their cloak and their tunics. Um, and we re read here in these verses, again, this is God giving his law through Moses. It says, if ever, if ever you take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. And what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear him, for I am compassionate. So we learn here that if somebody were to lose his cloak, it would be his covering and his warmth to sleep at night. There would kind of be this looming anxiety of, am I going to be okay? Am I going to make it to the morning? And Jesus challenges us to surrender that security back to God. That if somebody were to take our tunic, we would give them our cloak as well. Um, and this security is demonstrated by Jesus himself, you know, really going into the desert for 40 days and fasting and being tried by the devil. He's surrendering in this security to God, again, because he knows his mission. Um, and this is the best way to show love towards us because Jesus really needs to take our sin and kind of be this, this new Adam. And so Jesus ends up coming out of the desert being sinless. And for us, we are blessed by that. Um, and he calls us to the same idea of really surrendering security and trusting that God is going to take care of us. Um, it's something that's totally challenging, um, but I think it's, it's, it's just utterly important in giving ourselves totally to God and knowing who he is. Um, and then our next idea of surrender, we're gonna look at surrendering liberty. In verse 41, it says, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Um, so this is also something we don't commonly see today, being forced to go a mile um, and maybe choosing to go a second. You know, it's a, a common phrase, but what does it actually mean to go the second mile? And in Jesus' days, Israel was under Roman jurisdiction. Um, and under Roman law, while the soldiers were moving out throughout all the provinces, getting to where they needed to go, they could conscript people in these places under Roman jurisdiction to carry their gear for a mile. Um, so this is really in direct reference to that law, is that these people would have to go out of their way. They would be forced to carry gear for one mile. And Jesus is saying, don't just go one mile. I'm going to urge you to go a second mile. And this is really surrendering liberty out of a desire to love others well. Um, and I have really um, two verses here, um, just both from Paul, actually, in his letter to Galatia. Um, I think I have the NIV memorized, but the ESV will probably be up on the screen there. Um, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, do not be again submitted to a yoke of slavery. Um, and then in the, the next verse, Galatians 6, 2, it says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So we see this concept of Jesus really doing his work on the cross to free us from sin. We're no longer bound or enslaved to, to people or authorities because Jesus has provided our freedom out of love. And yet, out of that love, we ought to offer service to other people, to carry burdens, and really just reflect who Christ is. It's like Christ carrying his cross, which, you know, really is our own because Christ was the perfect, sinless Son of God. So Christ carrying our own cross. Um, this concept of going out of our way to go that extra mile is really this radical idea out of Roman law, you are obligated to go to one mile, but to fulfill the law of Christ, you ought to go the second. Um, and so it's so important that we challenge ourselves, you know, what way can we go this second mile? 
And I don't think people are asking me to carry things all the time. Um, but I do know that I can sit down for an extra hour and talk to somebody and just receive maybe an emotional burden. Um, often we're going through hard things mentally um, rather than physically. And it's so important that we would be open and receptive to carrying each other's burdens in that way too. Um, and then our last concept of surrender here is in verse 42. Jesus says, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This one we don't really need to look into Israel's context as much because this is just as much something today, I think, that we can see in, in Tucson. Um, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Um, but church, before we look there, I think um, I'm challenged by what's the limit? You know, if I'm truly to surrender my, my property to God here, um, that's, that's what Jesus is challenging us to surrender here. You know, what's the limit? Where does God provide? How can I still be sustained? Um, and let's look really quickly at 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12. Here, Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So a little bit of insight onto, you know, how we ought to discern when to give and when not might be um, when we're giving. Are we encouraging somebody in idleness? Or are we encouraging somebody in the Lord Jesus Christ? And again, this is so hard to discern because we can't know the hearts of all of those people asking us. When you drive around Tucson, at feel like at every intersection, you'll see somebody with a sign asking for food or for money or for needs to be net. And we don't know the hearts of those people. So we don't know whether giving is going to be encouraging them in idleness or in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not really what Jesus is challenging us to do here. He's challenging us to have that surrender of property that we could give generously because his kingdom is really characterized by this radical generosity. So we trust God with the discernment of when and whom to give to. Because it's so important that we first are surrendered to him. And then as we you know, give to others, we'll exercise this, really, this muscle of discernment of who to give and who not to give to. But really, surrendering that to the Lord is such an important step. And I think it's, uh, it's the one that trips us up the most. Um, and these are our concepts of surrender that Jesus challenges us with through examples of dignity, security, liberty, and property. And let me just say, these are hard standards to live up to. Um, Jesus was able to live up to them. I don't think any of us, by our own strength, could by any means live up to these. And we'll even read in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Jesus explains that to truly fulfill all these standards that God has set for us. He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that is something by our own strength is really impossible for us to do. And let us recognize that we are not enough in that area and that we must trust God and surrender. And so church, I have um, just on practically ways we could focus um, in prayer and in surrender to God, how we could live up to these standards of love that God has set before us. Um, and the first thing I wanted to say is that we ought to trust Christ's righteousness. Um, we read in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we know that then, by our own strength, we cannot be perfect and we cannot live up to these standards. 
Um, but we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, um, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And it is so important, church, that we understand that our righteousness cannot come from ourselves, but that it must come from Christ. And that is why Christ died on the cross, to give us that righteousness. Um, because really, we cannot live up to these standards by our strength, but by the strength of Christ and the righteousness that he's given us by grace, by his sacrifice on the cross, we ought to trust him that his love for us is sufficient for our love towards others. Um, and the next thing we're going to look at is, um, I think really something that's been practical in helping me love others is that we ought to view others from an eternal perspective. Um, and for this, we'll look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 17. I actually forgot to bookmark this one in my Bible, so give me a second to flip to it. <laughs> All right, and again, Paul is writing to a church here in, in Corinth, and he says um, to one, oh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So really, this is challenging us to view others from an eternal perspective, not to look at somebody and see their sin, but to look at somebody and see their soul. We're really challenged to see as God sees, not as the world would see, because otherwise it would totally make sense that we would retaliate in a like way, but really to love somebody, to encourage them in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so practically, if I see somebody and they sin against me and I see that, that's just ugly, and I feel angry. If I see somebody and they sin against me, and I see their soul, and it's just misguided, and it doesn't know God's love, I'm going to be moved to compassion. Um, and we can't do that by our own nature, but by a surrender to Christ, his righteousness. And again, that's characterized by surrendering dignity, security, property, and liberty. Um, examples that we saw in those verses. Um, but then last, I think really also insanely important is that we love by God's spirit. Um, and my cross-reference here is uh, 1 Corinthians 2.12. Um, I didn't realize I took all of these references from uh, Corinthians, but I think that just points to how sufficient God's word really is. Again, this is Paul writing to Corinth. He says, For we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand what God has freely given us. We cannot love others according to God's standards by our own strength, but by God's own spirit. And so it's so important that we really sit back and when we can just meditate on what is God's truth how would God's spirit guide me in this interaction that we wouldn't impulsively respond according to the spirit of the world you know how our own flesh would direct us to respond by our own instinct but that we would truly love others in the way that God has loved us and God's equipped us to do this by his spirit by his son's sacrifice on the cross by his grace um, and then just really looking at others through that eternal perspective is going to help us with these ideas of surrendering dignity, security, liberty, and property. Um, church, will you please bow your heads with me in prayer? Lord, you are so good, and we're just so grateful that you've sent your son to go before us and to be our righteousness, um, and that you just used him as an example of how we ought to surrender fully to you. Lord, please... Um, challenge us to surrender our dignity, our liberty, our security, and our property. Lord, that we could love others by knowing your love. Um, 
because Lord, your love is so sweet. And when we really focus our perspective on eternity and our hope on where you are, Lord, it's just such a blessing to be members of your kingdom, even as, Lord, exiles and strangers in the culture around us. Um, Lord, we trust that you are a gracious, compassionate, and loving God, and that you've equipped us with the ability to live according to your word. Um, Lord, please help us just pursue you this week, and please uh, bless our weeks moving forward. It's in your name we pray. Amen.